Hey guys, Mike here for Hokey Hangover on behalf of the good folks over at Main Street Pharmacy. Former Downtown Blacksburg Business of the Year in 2019, Jeremy Counts and his staff at Main Street Pharmacy have you covered for all of your pharmaceutical needs. Medication, school supplies, you name it. Jeremy and his staff, family-owned business, they got you covered over at Main Street Pharmacy in Downtown Blacksburg. They've been a sponsor of our podcast since the beginning, going on five years now, and there's a reason why. They're extremely extremely reliable. They're good people. They're friends of ours, friends of the podcast. Head on over to Main Street Pharmacy, 301 South Main Street, downtown Blacksburg. Open Monday to Friday, 9 to 6, Saturday from 9 to noon. They're closed on Sundays. You can be reached at 540-605-7721. That's Main Street Pharmacy, 301 South Main Street in downtown Blacksburg. Hokie Hangover is proud to be sponsored by Homefield, the premium collegiate apparel brand in the United States. Based in Indianapolis, Homefield is committed to creating incredibly comfortable and officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. Homefield puts in extra reps for each of the more than 150 colleges they highlight, discovering unique logos, mascots, and iconic moments to create the best look at your tailgate. Go to homefieldapparel.com and use the promo code BEAMERBALL to get 15% off your first order. Homefield makes online shopping so easy, even I can't screw it up. Again, use the promo code BEAMERBALL to get 15% off your first order and acquire blue chip collegiate apparel from Homefield, an official sponsor of Hokie Hangover. hangover ricky five and seven really wouldn't be that bad would it <laughs> i'm trying to figure well, out where to start i mean i'm trying to figure out where to start here i, I well actually so it's funny you mentioned that so um saturday was like the longest day of my life and after i think after the game i texted our group with andrew who is unfortunately under the weather and is not feeling all that great um i texted the group and i think i said so five and seven it kind of running off our joke from right. the previous week. Right. Um, but you and I were just talking about this before we recorded or press record. Five and seven. I mean, look, it, it okay. Uh, everyone likes to say that I like jumped the gun on the, the bad stuff, right? So let me preface this by saying Virginia Tech's played two games. There's 10 games left on the schedule. A lot can change. Through two games, Five and seven is going to be a stretch, okay? Purdue is more representative more representative of any other team they're going to play for the rest of the year in terms of talent level. Uh, although, shout out Old Dominion just beat Louisiana Lafayette mm-hmm. last week. Yeah, um, they're pretty good doing it too. Yeah, so, but Purdue is going to be a lot closer to anything that they're going to face the rest of the year. And for three quarters, Virginia Tech's offense It was almost like I, it was almost like you when you give the controller to like your little sister when you're playing Madden and and like you you don't score any points, you turn the ball over 
and like the other team jumps out to a big lead. That's what happened for three quarters in this game, right? I mean, Virginia Tech's defense was pretty pretty suspect in the first half, was a lot better in the second half, uh, and, and we can get to that later. But Virginia Tech's offensive issues start and I think finish with the worst running game I've ever seen in Blacksburg. Virginia Tech averaged half a yard per carry on Saturday against Purdue. Michael, I was told that um, that you know bringing in a different offensive line coach would, would change this. Um, we we tried we tried to tell people Joe Rudolph was not the problem. I and, I was and, uh, no I have it on good authority, Michael, that Joe Rudolph was the problem. And the responses that we got were, well, Ron Crook has a different you know, mentality. It's a different offensive scheme on the offensive line. And what did we say, Ricky? We said the personnel wasn't there. That's what we said. This is not a Joe Rudolph problem. How come Notre Dame has one of the best offenses in the country through two games? I'm sorry, three games. Yep. They played three games. They played Tennessee. They have, I forgot. Oh, maybe it's because they have like four pretty talented running backs plus an offensive line that including, can find their way out of a wet paper bag. And yeah, including one offensive lineman that's probably going to be a top five or six pick in the draft next April. Uh, so, so what is the biggest issue holding this running game back? Because I don't think it's the running backs. I mean, Basial Tootin had like 10 games consecutive with 100 or more yards at NC A&T. Malik, we've seen what Malachi Thomas can do behind pre- previous offensive lines. Um. This this offensive line is bad. This is really, really bad. The offensive line sucks. I mean, there's there's no way around it. The, the big concern coming into the year, and I harped on this. Everybody's talked about, oh, you know, there's more talent skill positions, and, you know, Grant Wells will be better because there's more talent around him. And, I, you know, we just kept coming back to, well, we know nothing about this offensive line. Right. It was bad last year and it's looking different this year and different doesn't necessarily mean good. And we didn't know about the offensive line. The offensive line was the single biggest question mark on this team coming into the season. It was more of a question than quarterback. Everybody's trying to kill Grant Wells. We'll get to Grant Wells. He didn't play very well on Saturday. We'll get to Grant Wells here in a few minutes. The offensive line is the single biggest issue on the roster coming into the season. It remains the single biggest issue on this team now that we're two games into the season. It's not Grant Wells. It's not the running game. It's not the receiver room that's now a little bit depleted by injuries. We'll talk about that as well. There are a lot of fingers that you can point. And you know what? We're going to have our say about Tyler Bowen on this podcast, too. And we're going to, oh, yeah. there's going to be plenty of criticism to pass along to him, too. But this offensive line, personnel wise, is really, really bad. And this needs to be adjusted quickly. We know that. Uh, the staff has, you know, especially in the first class, they immediately came in. They flipped a couple of recruits uh, trying to get some more talent in on the offensive line. Those guys are all young. A lot of them are in the two deep. And I think it's pretty telling that Brent Pry came out in his weekly press conference today and talked about how they're already, you know, shuffling guys in and out of the offensive line. And that's not due to injury, right? The big question coming into the year was like, who was going to step up if somebody got injured? But Ricky, I think you made a point on one of the podcasts. It was like not only injury, 
who's going to step in if they're just flat out ineffective? And Tech's not dealing with a ton of injuries on the offensive line yet. What we're dealing with is ineffectiveness. And averaging half yard a carry is horrible. Caden Moore, I was pretty high on Caden Moore as a freshman, right? Um, I think a lot of us were. A lot of us were. He, he played really, stepped in, played really well. His move to center has been a disaster. He has not played very well on the interior offensive line. He's, he's one of a couple people, including his brother, Braden, Braylon Moore, who has not played very well either. He's one of a couple people on the interior offensive line that hasn't been playing very well. But his snaps are all over the place to Grant Wells. He's not snapping the ball well. He's not blocking. It's been, The move to center has been a disaster for Caden Moore. So this offensive line is real bad right now. And we thought tackle was going to be the issue. And the tackles haven't been fantastic, Ricky. They've been better than the interior offensive line, though. And I did not see that coming. So actually, well, let's let's, let's address that because the pro football focus numbers would say that the tackles have been the worst of the group in, in, ter- in terms of run blocking. But it's not because the guys in the interior have been good. Right. So Parker Clements' run blocking grade through two games is 45.2. Xavier mm. Chaplin, 49.5. Um, Brody Meadows, 57.7. Bob Schick, the highest of the group, at 68.6. Everybody was worried about Bob Schick. Look at that. Yeah, well, I mean, let's let's not act like he's been good. Braylon Moore, 59.8, and Caden Moore, 56.9. That's awful. Bad. Real bad. It's not like they've played amazingly talented defensive fronts early on. And I I, I was kind of, I don't know. I I was kind of, um, I don't know if frustrated is the right word, but kind of taken aback when Brent Pry immediately in his post-game press conference on Saturday night was saying how good Purdue's defensive line was. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm not sure that that unit really came in with any credibility or track record coming in. Decidedly fine. He's They're like, fine he's like, defensive line. he's like, they got a bunch of big guys up front. Okay, well, so do you. Yeah. Like, it, Virginia Tech does not have a size problem on offensive line. They have a talent problem. They yeah. have a skill problem, and and maybe it's a coaching problem too. I mean, for all of the for all of the patchwork that Vance Vice had to do in his tenure and how he, you know, pulled a guy from FUMA and was pulling in transfers from, from random schools for the most part, he was able to get those lines to be at least average. Right. And now that they had a lot of issues at running back, I mean, Khalil Herbert was a godsend. Uh, They had issues at quarterback, but that offensive line could usually hold their own. Right. And, I'm not expecting this offensive line to even be good. But for God's sakes, 11 rushing yards? Like, that's... Virginia Tech has enough talent at running back where this should not be a problem. So that's that's where I want to go next. And I, I hate to jump into the Tyler Bowen discussion this early in the podcast, but I think we kind of have to do it. So the offensive line, we we are open in saying that the offensive line talent is not there. The personnel talent, that it's poor right? The personnel's poor. We cannot say the same thing about the running back room. Bayshell Tootin and Malachi Thomas are ACC level running backs. They're good enough. They're good enough. Flat out. Yeah. And when, and in the few chances that Bayshell Tootin has had 
in space, he has shown that he's capable of breaking tackles against decent players. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I mean, Bayshell too, and it was a pass play, but I mean, you saw what he was able to do in open space on Saturday on his first touchdown of his Virginia Tech career, right? Yeah. So this is not a talent problem in the running back room. And, you know, you mentioned the patchwork job that, you know, Vance Vice had to do at times, right? Where the talent, I think, was better, right, than what Virginia Tech has in the room currently. Absolutely, yeah. And I think the key thing that you also mentioned there um, when you were diving in was, you're not expecting this line to be amazing. You're expecting this line to be average, serviceable. And that's on the coaching. That's on the coaching staff. I understand the personnel is really bad. I get it. Personnel is not great. But the offensive line talent is not so bad that you can't rush for more than 11 yards in a game. That's on the coaching. That's yeah. on the coaching staff. I mean, you have to get more. If you're Tyler Bone, you have to figure out different ways to get a little bit more creative in the running game. Running Bayshell 2 and Malachi Thomas straight up the middle on the interior offensive line when it's clearly not working, like, that ain't it, buddy. Like, you got to find out, you got to figure something else out in the running game, schematically. You just got to figure something else out. I was a little bit concerned when Virginia Tech came out of a timeout against Old Dominion. Uh, later in the game, Tech had control. We needed a yard, right? It was a Grant Wells run out of a timeout right up the middle. Everybody in the stadium knew that Grant Wells was going right up the middle on fourth in a yard. And they stuffed him, right? And yeah, you and I talked about the lack of imagination in the red zone in the Old Dominion game. You know, Tech had a pretty decent first drive, got down to the red zone, stalled out. We had questions about Kyron Drones' use. We had questions about uh, the running plays called in the red zone on that drive. Virginia Tech ran the ball better against Old Dominion, but it was still really, really bad. 11 yards, half yard to carry? against Purdue, this isn't the best defensive line in the country. For Brent Pry to say, oh, yeah, they got some dudes up front. Yeah, Purdue's got a fine offensive or a fine defensive line. They're fine. They're nowhere near the best defensive line Virginia Tech will play this year. In fact, they're probably fifth or sixth on the list out of the 12 teams on the schedule. They are a fine defensive line. That's nothing to take away from Purdue. But they're not so good that you should only run for 11 yards on them. So the running game's broken. The personnel's bad openly admit that we agree with that it's not so bad you should only be running for 11 yards it's not acceptable i mean it's just a t it's a terrible output through two games and you know it's it's so bad it's going to be historically bad if it continues historically bad these are the types of performances that get you fired i'm not talking about brent pry i'm talking about tyler bowen brent pry is not gonna get fired after year two yeah. i'm talking about tyler bowen these are the types of performances in the running game that get you fired you can't be running for 11 yards in a game. If you do that against Rutgers, by the way, Ricky, I know I know Rutgers hasn't really played anybody yet. Rutgers has a really good run defense through a couple games, st statistically. You know, you, you play who's in front of you on the schedule, right? Yeah. Rutgers hasn't really played anybody yet. You play who's in front of you on the schedule. But Rutgers defense has held up well against the run in the first two games of the year. Rutgers might be the best defense that Virginia Tech's played so far coming up on Saturday in Piscataway. This is not going to be a walk in the park moving forward. Marshall's going to field a decent defense. Pitt feels a Pitt just got gashed on Saturday. They'll get that defense fixed. <laughs> Pat Narduzzi will get that fixed. They got gashed against the run on Saturday against Cincinnati. It was unexpected. They played incredibly poorly. But even if that continues, 
Who's to say Virginia Tech's going to run on a bad run defense? Have they proved that yet? I'm just so, I, this. This is bad. This this is this so let has me, potential to be a mess. Let me run some numbers by you. Um, I, I mentioned that Basil Tutin had 100 plus yards in 10 consecutive games last year. Uh, he has 27 carries through two games for 59 rushing yards so far this year. Barely over two yards per carry. Virginia Tech is 123rd in rushing yards per game in FBS. Out of 130 teams. And they're averaging 185 yards per carry. Last stat I want to throw at you. Tyler Bowen has now coordinated 13 games for Virginia Tech in his in his tenure. Um, Virginia Tech has rushed for more than 144 in just one of those games. can't hide from that <laughs> you you cannot hide from that and um mikey i was also reliably informed that after such an abysmal offense in 2022 that putting more responsibilities on tyler bowen's plate made a lot of sense um how's that working Poorly. Because Grant Wells, who played relatively well against Old Dominion, looked like the old Grant Wells in this game. We tried to warn you that a performance like this from Grant Wells was coming, and it's going to be a roller coaster ride. Yep. Tried to warn you. Was he admittedly hobbled in the second half? Sure he was. Is this also who Grant Wells is? Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. Grant Wells had a really good second quarter. Okay. Grant Wells finished the game 16 of 33 for 243 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. He did his best work in the second quarter. Most of those yards were accumulated in the second quarter. The passing game's a disaster. Allie Jennings is hurt. Allie Jennings was in a boot before the weather delay. For the before the five and a half hour rain delay. We played just long enough to see Allie Jennings get hurt. He's in a boot. He's gonna miss a Rutgers game at least. Uh, he could miss longer. He was very good against Old Dominion. Didn't get a chance to see what he could really do against Purdue, obviously, because of how early in the game he got hurt. Jalen Lane, he's a little nicked up, has a hamstring. Doesn't seem like it's going to be long-term. He's questionable officially for Saturday. Grant Wells, also questionable for Saturday. He got a little bit banged up too. Keontae Jenkins, he was hurt, came back in. This year, Peoples, he was out for Purdue. Uh, he's going to be out for an extended period of time. Brent Pry hasn't said that yet. We're telling you. Yeah. Virginia Tech's already dealing with inju- uh, injury issues. They're dealing with depth issues. Uh, by the way, Ricky, we, we talked, and I just want to sneak this in because there's no reason to really talk about this for an extended period of time. Tucker Holloway should take over the full-time punt return duties. We were calling for that anyway. Now we're really calling for it because Virginia Tech can't afford for Jalen Lane to get actually hurt, right? He yeah. got a little nicked up, hamstring. Uh, now if he gets hurt, Virginia Tech's starting to really... I, I know they have more depth at receiver than they had a year ago. Yeah, but we but, saw in the second half exactly what happened, right? Yeah. Virginia Tech got shut out in yeah. the second half without Jalen Lane or Ali Jennings on the field. Right. So and, Hall, Holloway's got to take over punt return duties full-time. It's got, yeah. it's a no-brainer now. It was a no-brainer before. It's really a no-brainer now. But So 
So I, I want to go back to quarterbacks. Uh, yeah, that's how. Yep. For a moment. This is two consecutive weeks, and that doesn't include the entire preseason, where Brent Pry has said that he wants Kyron Drones to play a large role in the offense. And for six consecutive quarters, dating back to the Old Dominion game, Kyron Drones did not see the field. Yep. What, what the hell is going on? Like, what? Why is that? Why is it that? There's such an emphasis in the media on Kyron getting opportunities and defenses having to game plan for him and and they have packages for him and he doesn't play. I mean, you mentioned Wells was hobbled after. I mean, Price said it in his post game presser. Wells was hobbled after the end of the second quarter. Yeah. So basically, he played the second half uh, banged up. And he's in, in that and play then, circulated. So, so drones comes in on the final drive yeah. of the game. Didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And that one play like kind of told the entire story where Wells, I think it was in the third quarter. It's all kind of blending together because I didn't watch this live. I, I saw bits and pieces of it live, but I had my own travel issues. Oh, on I did sa- Saturday that I don't want to get into, <laughs> but uh, Wells had that one play where he pulled on a read option and he couldn't decide whether to it was one of those RPO plays that they run and he couldn't decide whether to run or throw and if he's healthy he's taken off running cuz he had nobody within like 20 yards of him and he kind of hesitated and then kind of pulled up and got tackled and i was like yep definitely not healthy definitely not healthy that's when Kyron Drones should have been in the game when you see that play happen that's when Kyron Drones goes in the game and to go back to your original point where Brent Pry says he wants you know opposing teams to prepare for Kyron drones and his running ability and prepare for two quarterbacks, buddy. We have a couple data points now, and it's pretty clear that you're not going to play Kyron drones. Right. So, um, it, at least not when Grant Wells is healthy, it, it doesn't seem like they're going to play Kyron drones. So you can keep saying that stuff in the media, right? You can keep wanting teams to prepare for two quarterbacks, but when they put the film on, there's only one quarterback playing. Right. So, and yeah, admittedly you and I said, after the Old Dominion pod, right, at the Old Dominion recap, we said that we're good on the Kyron Drones thing because the Kyron Drones insertions during the Old Dominion game didn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, and, and Wells played well enough where we're like, just let him get into a rhythm, like let him throw the ball, just get him going. Now I'm I'm thinking a little bit differently with the second data point, Ricky. Number Number one, we're not even sure if Grant Wells is going to be healthy enough to suit up on on Saturday against Rutgers. So we'll talk about that on a little bit more on the preview pod. Brent Pry might not even have a choice. He might have to play Kyron Drones. But is that going to really be a bad thing? The Virginia Tech rushing attack right now, Ricky, is so bad. It's so bad that it doesn't really matter who is the better passer of the two, right? Because in my opinion, your better passer, Grant Wells, he really isn't all that good throwing the ball. We kind of know what he is, right? Just kind of pick your poison. He's he's going to miss some throws. He'll make some good throws, but he's going to miss some throws. If he's the better passer of the two, and your passing game really is just mediocre with him in the game, just how bad is your offense going to be with a running quarterback, right, who's like the worst passer of the two? How well, bad so, is it going to be? Well, I mean, judging from stuff I've seen from Wells, I'm not sure that Wells is, is that less of a runner than drones 
he he isn't quite as physical maybe well, no. because of his his stature. But how many times did we see last year Wells make plays with his feet and get on the move? When he's healthy, he can do it. it it's it's certainly possible. Teams are just not respecting, and I understand not respecting it after he got hurt, right? Because he was hobbled. But teams are just not respecting the option run with Wells. They're just not. I mean, they didn't really respect him in the Old Dominion game either, right? It was it was clear what Old Dominion's game plan was, right? It was stack the box, stop the run with the running backs, and make Wells throw. There weren't a lot of plays in that game against Old Dominion where Wells was taken off running and had like all sorts of green grass in front of him. I'm just kind of to the point here, Ricky, where Virginia Tech is looking so bad running the football that at least drones makes you respect the running game a little bit more, right? And the way I look at this, too, is, and, and I tweeted this out, like Virginia Tech averaged almost a yard more per carry when Hendon Hooker was inserted in 2019 over Ryan Willis, because there are a lot of parallels with this discussion, right? You know, Willis Willis came into 2019, and he was the veteran quarterback with the better arm, right? Hendon Hooker was, you know, the raw prospect who was in his second or third year in the system and hadn't played about a lot, but, you know, was a highly touted recruit. You know, he was a four-star recruit, and everybody thought highly of him coming into the program, but he just hadn't played much. He was supposed to be the worst passer of the two. And he instantly provided Virginia Tech with a little bit of pop on offense, right, in 2019. Virginia Tech averaged almost a full yard per carry more than they did with Willis. Virginia Tech that year was not a very good running unit, right? They were 94th in the country out of 130 FBS teams. That's better, right, than the unit that Virginia Tech's fielding running the football right now. But, Ricky, 94th out of 130 that season factors in the Hendon Hooker (laughs) factor, right, where they're averaging almost a full yard per carry more per game as a team with him in the lineup. Teams had to respect the quarterback run with Hendon Hooker in ways that they didn't with Ryan Willis. Is Wells a better athlete than Ryan Willis? Yes, right? Uh, we can have a debate over whether or not you know he's a better passer, but is he, is he a better athlete in space than Ryan Willis was? Absolutely, right? I concede that for sure. But I think there are a lot of parallels here, and I, I think inserting drones now might not be the worst thing, right? We know what we got with Wells. The running game is not getting any better from a schematic standpoint. It needs to, but there's no indication it's getting any better through two games. The offensive line's a disaster. How bad can it be, Rick? How bad can it possibly be at this juncture? And and again, Pry might not even have a choice. He might have to play drones on Saturday, whether he wants to or not, um, against Rutgers. Obviously, the coaching staff, you know, if they felt better about Kyron Drones, I think we would have seen more of him by now. But how bad can it possibly be? Well, never ask questions you don't want the answer to. <laughs> but I mean, I I don't know. I, and for I'm the record, sure. is quarterback the problem? It's a it's problem. A problem. It's Absolutely. a problem. I mean, is it the problem? I don't think it's the problem. I think it's a problem. Yeah. It's hard to win when you can't run the football, period. Yeah. Um, even, even teams that rely on throwing the ball through the air are at their best when they're able to consistently get yards on the ground. That may not be their primary method of moving the ball, 
but you, you, you have to running the football changes everything. It really, it really puts the defense in a bind. Um, the, the common adage and Fuente was known for saying this, you, you pass the score, but you run to win. Um, and establishing the run really does change the entire dynamic on offense. And it alleviates so much pressure on your passing game, but drones, I mean, I'm not sure that putting drones in is going to make a difference in this offense. It may in, not in, until, until the, the receiving core is back to hundred percent. I think Virginia tech's ceiling on throwing the ball is extremely limited. Uh, Steven Gosnell is serviceable for sure. Uh, Daquan Felton hasn't made a huge impact in two games. He had going to have to now. He may had one nice reception against Old Dominion where he broke a tackle. Um, but Jalen Lane and Ollie Jennings clearly are the the catalysts on offense. And with those guys out, um, it's it's going to put Virginia Tech in a huge bind. Um, for, for what it's worth, drones kind of got off to a hot start, uh, on that final possession. Uh, and then I think he missed his last four passes, um, last five passes. Actually, he were incomplete, uh, two for seven for 32. So if, if Wells is not healthy, I think drones probably needs to play. Uh, Grant Wells is not good enough to be able to give you really good quarterback play or even decent quarterback play when he's injured. Right. Right. He's, yep. he's got to be able to move a little bit. He's got to be able to get off the spot and get outside the pocket. Uh, he's not good enough to be a statue quarterback, right? We're not looking at Peyton Manning. We're not looking at Tom Brady. We're not looking at Drew Brees. Um, he's just not, not a good enough passer to kill you from the pocket only. So, but going back to the question you just asked, I don't think quarterback is the ultimate problem right now. Um, it's probably the second problem on this yeah. offense. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree with that. It, it's certainly a huge problem, but Virginia Tech's inability to, to move the football on the ground is, uh, is what's really threatening this offense to be historically bad for a second year in a row. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next? Last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Brent Pry thinks pretty highly of Tyler Bowen, but I don't see how this continues if the running game doesn't get strained out. I don't think it can. If it does, this is where we criticize Fuente for sticking with his friends for too long. And Bowen's a Bowen's a decent recruiter. There's no doubt about that. But if he's not producing results in his primary role as an on-field coach, or I guess in the booth coach, but you know what I mean, as an on-field coach, 
you gotta you gotta make a move if you're pry. The defense, and we'll talk about the defense here more extensively in a second. The defense is good enough right now, and Pry is still like getting his guys in there and implementing his scheme with Marv. And I've been fine with Chris Marv's performance so far this year. Like I wasn't real happy with how the run defense looked against Old Dominion. Um, Saturday, I know that Devin Mockaby ran for um, almost 100 yards, but you know he had a 20-yard run in there, right? Which if you take that away, he only had 20 carries for 75 yards, right? So I thought the the performance against the run with, you know, Purdue's primary running back in this game was better. Purdue averaged less than four yards per carry, which was an improvement from the old Dominion game. And I thought Virginia Tech's defense certainly played a lot better in the second half of the game against Purdue than they did in the first, which is good. That's an indication that, you know, the team's making adjustments. But this offense right now is so bad and so limiting that it's going to put Brent Pry in a really tough spot pretty quickly if he doesn't get things turned around. I know he's in a rebuild. I know that, you know, Whit Babcock's not going to fire him right away or anything like that. But if you feel two historically bad offenses in a row and then retain the guy who's authoring the offense, it's not going to sit well with a lot of fans. And we're going to be asking a lot of questions about this coaching staff and the competence of it moving forward. That's just a fact. That's the way this works. We understand it's a rebuild. We're going to have patience to a degree, but we'd have more patience if just the run game was a little bit below average, right? And we know that the you know the offensive line has issues. That's all part of a rebuild. But having it be having the offense be historically bad two years in a row while you upgrade the skill position talent all around the quarterback that you're bringing back in and returning. If you feel the second historically bad offense, at some point you're running out of people to blame. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's, that's my thought on it. So the running game really needs to improve. I don't think anything improves with this offense until the running game gets better. If the running game doesn't get better and you're putting this all on Grant Wells, let's just put it this way. Grant Wells should not be throwing the ball 33 times per game. I don't care what Virginia Tech has. I don't care if Ali Jangs is healthy and Jalen Lane's healthy and Virginia Tech has the full complement of receiving options. Grant Wells should not be throwing the ball 33 times a game. Because he's going to throw some interceptions when he throws it that many times. Against quality competition, he's going to throw interceptions. This should be, he should be in the 24 to 28 attempts per game range. And Virginia Tech should be trying to run the ball 25, 30 times a game. That should be the formula. This shouldn't be heavily skewed passing with Grant Wells. It shouldn't be. They should be running the ball. They should have more balance. Pry all along has talked about how he wanted to really establish a good running game for Virginia Tech. And he hasn't, his staff hasn't been able to answer the call in two years, you know, or I guess a year and two games into year two, they have not been able to answer the call in the running game. It's historically bad, historically bad, worse than anything Cornelson fielded. Everybody, everybody despises Brad Cornelson. This running game's worse, way worse, way worse. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the defense really quick. Nasir Peoples being out makes the secondary extremely vulnerable. Yeah. Jalen Jones is not uh, an ACC-level safety, I don't think. He's been he's been exposed in back-to-back games. Yeah. Um, he was recruited as a wide receiver for a reason. Right? Yeah. 
Jalen Stroman has been fine at, at, at the other safety. Uh, I don't like the idea of moving Mansour to lane. I don't either. To the other safety fan. spot. Not a fan. It sounds like he's going to continue rotating into safety uh, as long as Peoples is out. Um, then you're playing with Canteen and you're playing with Dorian Strong at the corners, which is fine, but I don't love the idea of having to move to lane to safety. Yeah. Um, outside of Antoine Powell Ryland, I haven't seen much of a pass rush. The linebackers have been fine. I think Tisdale's been better this year. Tisdale's starting against Rutgers, by the way. He's starting over Jaden yeah, Keller against Rutgers. Yeah, he's taken over that. Um, he's taken over that role as the as the the Mike linebacker for sure. Lawson was a beast on Saturday. Lawson was very good. Uh, Pro Football Focus disagrees with you. But... ACC linebacker of the week, baby. It's funny how sometimes the metrics just don't line up with what people yeah. think. But yeah. if you look at the, I mean, if you look at the three corners on Tech's roster that have played the most snaps on Pro Football Focus, all three of them rank poorly, uh, very poorly. Uh, Delane's at 62, Derek Canteen at 57.3, Dorian Strong at 55.6. Um, I think some of that's because they've struggled on third down in passing situations uh, through various stretches in the first two games. But I think a lot of that is Jalen Jones in the backfield or in the, in the defensive secondary has been a serious liability. And I'm hoping that, uh, that they can find some other guys to move into that position. I don't think it has to be the lane, but, uh, Virginia Tech needs to explore some other alternatives. I'd much rather just have most Phillips play and take his lumps because, you know, that's at least going to be a longer-term answer in safety. And he's he's rotated in some. He got some snaps against Purdue, got some snaps against Old Dominion. But I, I would almost just rather get him his reps as a freshman than this Jalen Jones experiment, which, you know, Jalen Jones is a junior. He's been around for a while, but he's a first-year safety. And... I think to your point, I'm not sure he's an ACC safety either. That doesn't mean he can't, you know, he can't improve, but it's been rough sledding so far when he's been in the game. Uh, do you feel better or worse about this defense through two games? In turn, compared to like preseason expectations, compared to how I felt after Old Dominion. Yeah. Um, it's been fine. I'm not like. I think that's that's a good way to play. I think they've been fine. They've been fine. Like I don't think <laughs> some ups and downs. Some ups and downs. I, they're keeping this god awful offense in the game. They're doing what they did last year. They keep the god awful offense in the game. I think they they've played better through two games than they played through the first two games last year. Which the one the one bar, thing but... that's the one thing that's killing Tech right now is getting off the field. They had a stretch in the Purdue game where I think where they got off the field on like six or seven straight third down uh, attempts. But Tech is 104th in the country in opposing third down percentage. Uh, they're allowing offenses to convert 46.8% of the time, uh, which is not very good at all. And given, given the the time of possession disparity on Saturday against Purdue. Um, 
both sides of the ball have a role to play in that, right? The offense has to run the football to, to, to maintain possession. The defense has got to get off the field on third down. Opposing offenses. Um, <laughs> so Virginia Tech's defense is, uh, according to advanced metrics, Virginia Tech's defense having a 58.3% success rate on first and second down. That's 41st nationally. And to your point, Ricky, about the struggles on third down, third and fourth down, they kind of lump them together here, 47.1%, so significant drop-off. That's 94th in the country. Not not good. This team just If this team can get off the field more consistently on third down, we're feeling a lot better about things. We're feeling a lot better about things. I, Purdue, Purdue was uh, <laughs> better on third down in this game than I think a lot of us were hoping for. Let me pull up the – I'm pulling up the uh, – team stats now so i'll butcher the stat but it wasn't it wasn't great for virginia tech here we go yeah um purdue was set i they ended up finishing seven for 17 on third down i think they were five of eight in the first half something like that (laughs) so it got a little bit better in the second half obviously virginia tech by the way uh not to circle back to the offense too much but virginia tech was two for 12 on third down on saturday so that needs to get better too from an offense standpoint absolutely um anything else as we kind of get towards the end of the Purdue recap? Virginia Tech lost this game by a touchdown. You can't go two for twelve on third down. You can't rush for half a yard per carry. You know. Um these games are one on the margins. Virginia Tech's going to be in a lot of games like this this year against teams that are around the same talent level. There's certainly a lot of them coming up in ACC play. Um, Virginia Tech, I think only having three penalties for 25 yards is good. That's a positive sign, right? So Virginia yeah. Tech continues to be pretty disciplined in terms of penalties. So, you know, it, not all hope is lost. There is some good here. But Virginia Tech's got to start running the ball better, and they got to win the turnover battle. It, and it seems so silly to just say win the turnover battle because a lot of turnovers come down to luck, right? Talk about fumble luck a lot. <laughs> but Virginia Tech's got to take care of the football. And Tech's got to make sure that they're not getting penalized more than the other teams. And it becomes even more paramount when you're working at a talent disadvantage. I think there's less of that going on in year two than there was a year one from a talent standpoint. I think Virginia Tech certainly upgraded talent. But Tech's still going to be in a lot of these 50-50 type games this year. And every play is going to matter. And Virginia Tech's going to lose a lot more of them than they win, regardless of the penalty situation. And regardless of, like, aside from, like, a random, like, four or five turnover game, if Virginia Tech turns the ball over a couple times, goes two for 12 on third down, and rushes for less than 50 yards in a game, they're going to lose a lot of these 50-50 games. So that's why we opened the podcast tonight by saying five and seven wouldn't be too bad. That's how I feel going into Rutgers. We'll see what happens. Yeah, um, I'll give one quick shout out to the specialists. Um, John Love made his only field goal in this game. Kyle Lowe, four kick, four kickoffs, four touchbacks. Not going to complain about that. Peter Moore uh, did a pretty good job punting. Um, he he's probably going to be used a lot this year. Special teams, <laughs> special teams player of the week in the conference for how he punted the ball. Yeah, which. So. At least we have a punter. 
Um, yeah, I think that's going to do it. Um, any last words, Michael, real quick? Got to run the ball better. Yeah. Oh, no, what are we doing? We we had planned on talking about the weather delay. Oh, yeah, let, let's hit on that real quick. M- miserable. I was miserable. I mean, you were in the press box. Saturday. You were in the press box. Yeah, so let me let me walk some of you through my day on Saturday, in which then Michael can walk some folks through his day <laughs> on Saturday, which was awful for different reasons. Awful for well, yeah, but uh, related to weather. So yeah, so ties in. So I live in Virginia Beach. Uh, I left my house around five a.m. on Saturday to make uh, a noon kick, right? So I'm thinking, okay, game will be done by 3.34 o'clock. Prize press conference done by 4.35 o'clock. I get home by 10 p.m. And I'm soundly asleep at a normal time. Uh, my, I got home at about 4.45 on Sunday morning. And so... How long were you up from the time you woke up to go to Blacksburg to when you got in your bed? I guess that's 24 hours. My math is correct. Yeah. Um, So a couple things. Number one, Virginia Tech's field drains exceptionally well. We've known this for years, but that field is capable of handling a lot of water. Almost four and a half inches of rain in Blacksburg. It was a record. Yeah, record rain um, on Saturday. The, the, the like I I remember seeing the water starting to pool on top of the surface, and then like twenty minutes later, it was like at least an inch plus sitting on top of the grass, and then within forty five minutes, it was almost all gone. Yeah. Um. So shout out to the Virginia Tech grounds crew for getting that field in good shape to to finish the game. I did have a a huge issue with how the delay and the lack of information was handled. Yep. I mean, the game was delayed for five and a half hours. And for the last couple hours, at least there was zero lightning. I mean, I'm we're all the press guys are in the, we're in the box. We're on all the weather apps, right? We're looking at radar. We're thinking we're meteorologists. And we're trying to, you know, figure out when the hell Virginia Tech is going to be able to get this game going. And there was a point in time where I think we were all thinking they're just going to call this, which I thought would have been really an awful decision, in my opinion. Um, So I am glad that the game got played. um, But the delay was was pretty tough. Shout out to the Tech uh, Strategic Communications team for coming through with food for the Huge. media after after a few hours we we appreciated that that was very very nice um but that was that was easily the most miserable press appearance i've ever had absolutely want to hear about my day <laughs> so I was texting Ricky about this. So, okay. So this is how it started. So I had a flight scheduled at 8.37 a.m. Phoenix time. Phoenix is one of those states in the union where uh, they don't observe daylight savings time, right? So 
they are two hours behind when we fall back and they're three hours behind when we spring ahead on the East Coast. So I basically flew out around 1137 Eastern time right before the noon kick. I was on the plane, live TV, was watching the Hokies, checking in on base. It had basically every major sports channel, right? So I had Notre Dame NC State game on, which also got delayed. I was watching um, a little bit. Every ACC game get delayed this week. Every ACC game got delayed with the exception of Clemson and uh, who they play South Carolina State. Is that right? I think it was Charleston Southern. I'm sorry. Charleston Southern. Yes. Charleston Southern. Thank you. That was the only game that did not get delayed, I believe. Uh, so I flew out. Oh, and of course, Louisville, Murray State on Thursday night did not get delayed. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. as far as the Saturday games went. So I flew out before a noon kick. I had TV on the plane. Uh, watched the first few snaps of Virginia Tech. Obviously saw Allie Jennings get hurt. That was unfortunate. Watched ND NC State. Watched some Baylor, Utah. Watched Colorado and Shadur Sanders, who's throwing the sling and the rock all over the field watch that game against nebraska it was an enjoyable flight ricky it was an enjoyable flight until we got over washington dc getting ready to land <laughs> so that was the first sign of trouble so we get in where we're about 100 miles from 150 miles from dc so you know in plain terms that means you're getting ready to land and our pilot comes on and he says hey we're still circling at 36,000 feet you know we're dealing with some weather waiting on some ground clearance you know um airport saturated at at dc reagan so we're just gonna float around here for a little bit so we were basically just circling dc for a while about 45 minutes to an hour go by and we're running out of fuel because we flew across the country so the pilot comes on he says Unfortunately, the weather is bad enough and there's not a spot for us to land in D.C., so we're going to divert to Pittsburgh. (laughs) Which, at the time, Rick, now, I know better because I've flown a ton. But other people on the plane, you could tell they hadn't flown a bunch because they said, oh, we're just stopping at Pittsburgh for a fuel stop. Because that's what the pilot said. He said, we're just going to stop at Pittsburgh for a fuel stop. um, And then we're going to take back off and get you to D.C. as quickly and safely as possible. I knew better. (laughs) I knew better. I knew it was going to happen. I knew that we were going to pull into the gate and we were going to uh, gas up the plane. And then we were going to wait about 30, 30 to 45 minutes. And then if we didn't get clearance to take off, we're going to be stuck in Pittsburgh. Lo and behold, pilot comes on. He says, basically, don't be mean to the flight attendants. Don't be mean to me because it's not my fault. But uh, your next flight is at nine o'clock on Sunday morning because we cannot fly out of here today. The weather's too bad in D.C. There's not a place for us. And then the flight attendant comes on and says, oh, by the way, the Steelers open tomorrow against the 49ers. There aren't hotels anywhere. If you're able to find one, make sure you keep it. So (laughs) I did a quick courtesy check. I am a Marriott Rewards member. Uh, I have status from my finance job. I, of course, go and I check the app. There is not a hotel within 45 miles of the airport. Fantastic. So what do I do? I immediately book a rental car because I'm an Avis Preferred member, Ricky, from my work. I was able to get a rental car, corporate told me. I'm like, all right, perfect. I'll just drive this kind of pain in the ass, but I'll drive the four and a half hours back to D.C. metro area where I live. That's fine. You know, not ideal, but it could be worse. I have a car, at least. I drove more than that on Saturday. Well, 
Yeah, you, you ended up driving more than I did on Saturday, Ricky, because I got to Avis Preferred Desk and they said they were not honoring any same day reservations because they did not have any cars. When I asked why was I able to book one online, they responded with, sorry, we couldn't get into contact with corporate. I was like, you know what? That's a really bad answer. So I went to literally every desk in there, went to Enterprise, Alamo, National, you name it, any car rental service. Nobody had cars. And by the way, Ricky, the time now, it's around six o'clock Eastern time. So I was thinking, okay, I'll just get a rental car off the property. I'll Uber to a rental car place somewhere else in Pittsburgh, away from the airport. I'll get my rental car. Slight problem with that, Ricky. All those places are closed because it's Saturday night at six o'clock. So I'm quickly running out of options. So my next option, my options were limited. I had, I'm either sleeping in the airport or I'm getting on another flight. Those are the options at the time. So I tried every airline, every airline, you name it. If they had a flight to DC, I was talking to someone trying to get on that flight. My last hope was at around nine o'clock. It was the plane was going to take off at nine o'clock, so around eight fifteen, eight thirty. I go to the desk. It was a Southwest Airlines flight leaving for DC. Which, by the way, the flight from Pittsburgh to DC. I'm sure some of you have done it before. It's all of like a half hour. It's like a 30 minute flight. It's very short. You don't get up. You barely get up to cruising altitude before you're coming in for landing. Southwest Airlines says, "Sorry, we're not taking any diverted passengers on this flight. You have to hold a Southwest ticket." Whatever. I I didn't. I flew with American. So I'm like, all right, I'm screwed. I'm sleeping in the airport. Shout out Scott, my brother-in-law. He remembered that one of his old roommates from college, Craig, shout out Craig, <laughs> lives in Pittsburgh. He is a uh, anesthesiologist who is in residency at Pittsburgh. And he had a couch for me to crash on on Saturday night. So I Ubered to his place. It was about a $50 Uber, unfortunately, but it was about a 25-minute ride to downtown Pittsburgh. Got into the city just in time to see the Pittsburgh fans being let out of Acrisure Stadium <laughs> in very, very, they're very sad Pittsburgh shirts. And everybody's getting back on campus after Pittsburgh somehow lost to Cincinnati on Saturday. Oh. I'm like, if this college football day for me didn't just come full circle while I'm streaming the Texas Alabama game on my phone in the Uber, yeah, I crashed on the couch. I was able to fly out on Sunday morning. It was not a very fun afternoon for me. I was at least one of the fortunate ones to have a friend of a friend essentially get me a place, a couch to crash on, which is really all I needed. I got a decent night of sleep, albeit about six hours, but it was a decent night of sleep and uh, got home on Sunday. But it was I've I've flown a ton, Ricky. I've traveled a lot. You know that we've we've recorded plenty of podcasts where I've been recording out of a hotel. I have never been diverted. I've never run into a problem where there's no hotels, no rental cars, and I literally had no options at my disposal. So it was a horrible travel day for me. So you and I both kind of went through the ringer for different reasons, but both due to weather. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, the most odd weekend of college football I think I've ever been a part of. Yeah. It dominated just, the headlines. Just dominated for, headlines. yeah, I mean, just for a variety of reasons, right? I mean, all the game delays, the the long travel, um, just an absolute mess. But uh, thankfully, you were home safely. I made it home safely. Um, and we can laugh about it, and we'll laugh about it 30 years from now. Yep. And now I'm home, and my kid has strep throat, so... <laughs> The fun never ends, Ricky. <laughs> the fun just 
never ends. Oh man. So. All right. Uh, rate, review, subscribe. Um, shout out to Main Street Pharmacy. Shout out to Homefield Apparel. We appreciate you both. Guys heard our ads for the first time. Pre-recorded yep. ads for both of them before yep. this podcast or somewhere in the middle. Absolutely. Uh, go ahead and tweet at Andrew. Uh, Andrew Alex Radio. Tell him he better be back soon. Make sure you go follow Mike McDaniel SI and at Ricky the Blue. Um, my Substack is free to subscribe to. Uh, you can read all my stuff for free on Twitter. I think that's going to do it. Uh, we'll be back soon with a Rutgers preview. Virginia Tech traveling to Piscataway. Um, is that the home of college football, right? Like the, the birthplace? Piscataway, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew, it, this is this one's special for Andrew being a, a New Jersey uh, native. He will be but... there, if I'm not mistaken. Good for him. I hope he enjoys it. I will not be there. Regardless, rate, review, subscribe. Thanks for listening. And as always, go Hokies. Mm-hmm.